Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another Bible study. I'm Matthew Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at the Tree Church and so honored that you're continuing to join us in studying the Word of God. And our hope is that not only do you gain knowledge, but that you take these truths and apply them to your life because that's where the true value of the Scripture lies is when we take them, apply them to our life, and receive in it the blessing of God. We start to see the truth of God being revealed to us as we live it out in experience, and then it just becomes more and more real to us. And then also it allows us to experience the full life that Jesus promised. And really, this is what I'm going to begin in my study today. We're continuing in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And it begins very much with that truth, which is the motivation of these Bible studies. So I'm just going to jump right in, and we're going to get going on our Bible study. So in verse 1, it says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. So what Moses is about to do is he's about to read, or in this case, speak to them. So he'll probably be reading them, but speak to the audience, all of the commands that God revealed to them. And this, if you don't know this, Deuteronomy is a summary, what, what Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy is him summarizing all of the truths that God revealed to the nation of Israel from the moment that he called Moses and then led to their deliverance out of Egypt, all the way through the 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And so now they're going to be on the edge of going into the promised land to conquer it. And so Moses is reminding them of all the truths. So he is summarizing some of their past experiences. And this is what's happening in chapter 5, is he's reminding them of the moment they received the Ten Commandments from God. So this passage has a parallel in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the first time we see God reveal himself to the nation of Israel to give them the Ten Commandments. And so he's talking about that moment. And so in this, Moses says three things that he wants the Israelites to do in response to the commands of God. So he uses the phrase statutes and rules. Uh, we might more often use the term commands of God, but he tells them to do three things. The first one he tells them to do is he says, hear, O Israel, the statute. So listen. So it's important to understand, they are a culture that passed on information orally. That was the, the primary way. Though they could write things down, uh, paper, any type of paper to write on was a luxury, and expensive item. It would have been even fragile, so that would have been a more difficult process. So obviously this is before typewriters and printing press and obviously computers so information was typically passed on orally. So what we could say in our culture is not just hear, O Israel, or hear, O church. Uh, we could hear, we could actually understand this as hear or read. So first is to be informed. Listen. Take it in, process it. So he says, hear, O Israel. That's the first thing. Hear these things. But then he also goes on to say, learn them. So hear, learn them, and then lastly, do them. He says, be careful to do them. So hear them, learn them, do them. So the first part is our responsibility to put ourselves in a position to consistently be informed about what God is commanding us to do. And I'm going to make a statement that I really hope resonates with you. You will consistently be learning what God commands you to do. I do not believe you will ever, this side of eternity, reach a moment where you fully understand all the truths of God's commands for your life. 
I believe that because I think some of the truths, you have to be in a different season or a different moment to fully experience what God is commanding you to do. The commands of God are like a wave that just keeps coming, and I don't say that in an oppressive way, I say that in a a beautiful way, a refreshing way, that reveals to us in every situation what God wants us to do. And so there were commands about parenting that honestly— I read before I was a parent, I kind of understood them, but now they mean something different to me as a father. There are things about marriage that I didn't understand before I was married. I I basically understood the principle, but in marriage, I see it living out more and more. And now that I've been married over 20 years, guess what? I'm still learning those truths. So we need to put ourselves in a position where we are consistently being exposed to the Word of God to his commands, to what he desires for our lives. You, by being a part of this Bible study, this is what you're doing. You're putting yourself in a position to learn. This is why one of the many reasons why I think consistent church attendance is necessary, to be put in an environment where you can be encouraged and challenged to hear the Word of God being proclaimed in your life. But then the second part is you need to learn them, and that means you need to understand them. The reality is you can listen and hear someone say something, you can read something and understand the words to a point, but you can hear and read and not fully understand. So his challenge is don't just hear these things, understand what's being commanded. So if you're in a situation where you hear something and you're like, I don't I'm not really sure what what Matthew was talking about there, or whoever the teacher might be, or you're reading a, a book and you're like, I'm not really sure about that. It's your responsibility to discover that answer. And that might be through reading more. That might be through getting a commentary. That might be through talking to someone that is maybe a little bit more educated or spiritually mature. might be talking to a pastor, a connect group leader. But it's And even nowadays, there's so many incredible resources online that you can use. But it's not just, it's not a casual thing to hear the Word of God and not understand it. If you remember in one of the parables where Jesus was talking, he used this imagery of this man who spreads some seed, and, and each of the seed falls on different type of soil. And so some are, you know, are withered, and because of the scorching sun, some the birds come and steal away, and then some land on fertile soil, and it produces a crop. But one of them, when he was explaining, he says, for one of those groups, it's when the, the seed fell on the soil, and they didn't understand it. And, and that's the one that it took no root. It was taken away. I think that was the one that the birds took away. I'm just kind of speaking off of memory right now. But he was stressing that the idea that if you don't understand it, it's of no value to you. So again, here's what Moses is saying. Hear the commands of God. Put yourself in a position to know them, to be exposed to them. Take the time to learn them. But then here's where the true value is. Do them. If you hear the Word of God, understand the Word of God, and don't apply it to your life, it is of no value to you. One of the most damaging things that has happened in modern-day Christian church is we think the process of learning more and being exposed to truth somehow makes us better. It does not. When we apply it to our life, that's when value is added. And so it's our responsibility to take those truths and apply it to our life. I would even say if you don't apply it to your life, all you've simply done is increasing accountability in your life. You've raised the bar. You now know what you should do, and you're not doing. And what the, the brother of Jesus, James, said, the person who knows the good he ought to do and does not do, to him that is sin. 
And so it just raises the bar in your life. But here's what, what God is commanding. And this is what all of this is the foundational principle of today's study is. God's commands add value. They do not restrict life. I want to say that again. God's commands add value. They do not restrict life. One of the lies about Christianity is people will say, oh, or, and they'll say this about religion as a whole too, but they'll say about Christianity, it's restrictive. It's trying to hold you back from experiencing life. So the laws that the Bible has about sexuality, it's, it's to restrict. The, the laws that the, the Bible has about your finances, it's to restrict you. Or the laws that it has about your time and how you treat people, it's to restrict you. Friends, you need to hear this. What God commands us to do, 100% of them, again, I, I'm not exaggerating at all, 100% of the things God commands us to do adds value. Not a single one restricts you from experiencing life. When it restricts you from experiencing something in modern-day life, modern-day world, you need to understand that's because modern-day's impression of life or standard of life is a cheap imitation to what God offers. When you follow the commands of God, you experience the fullness of what God has for you. And so let's go on to verse 2, and we need to do that because I'm nine and a half minutes into this Bible study, and I have 10 more (laughs) verses to go. So this is not going to be a 90-minute Bible study, I hope. So we're going to go through a little bit quicker. So verses 2 and 3 say, So the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. So uh, I read verses uh, 2 through 4 on that one. What he was saying is he was just making it personal. The, the emphasis wasn't so much that God didn't make the covenant with their fathers. It, it, he wasn't trying to make a, some type of statement about them as much as he's saying, you, the audience right now, you've seen what God has done. God made a covenant with you, and he spoke to you out of the fire. So what he's referencing is God told the nation of Israel when they left out of Egypt— Uh, So he guided them during the day with a a cloud and then at night with a pillar of fire. And this is after he parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land and he destroyed the army that was coming after them. But he led them to this specific mountain, this area of Horeb in the Mount, Mount Sinai. And God's presence descended upon the mountain, and it was a very frightening thing. Uh, he descended in fire upon the mountain, and when he spoke, it was like thunder, and there was lightning. It was, it was actually, uh, to some degree, very, very intimidating to the people, so that they said to Moses, we would rather you go and talk to God, and then from God come and speak to us, because his presence is too much for us. And, and so that's what would go on later, and we'll even look at that a little bit today. But in this moment, that's what he's referencing. He said, guys, you experienced that. So God shouldn't even to you just simply be a concept. You're not even having to take your parents' word for it, um, you know, or the Scripture's word for it. You saw him. You know he's real. So that's what he's illustrating. So continuing, he says, um, so he tells him, he spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, verse 5, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And so again, Moses is saying, I, I was the go-between. And just for a theological principle, there are some characters in the Old Testament that are referred to as a type of Christ. 
And, and when they use that phrase, they're not saying that they're God in the flesh. They're not saying that they have um, the attributes of God in that sense. Uh, it's just they modeled some of the truths and the realities that Jesus would do supernaturally on our behalf. And so Moses was a type of Christ. At times, he was a go-between between God and the people. He would go into the presence of God. God would speak to him. It even says in Scripture, like face-to-face, as a man speaks to his friend, he would go and reveal that to the nation. Uh, Moses was just an incredible leader. He was a very humble man, and so he was type of Christ. Uh, some of the others in Scripture would be like Joseph. Joseph, through his obedience, led to the salvation of the nation of Israel because he saved his family during the famine, so he's a type of Christ. Uh, to some degree, David was this way. Uh, David led to the nation of Israel being set free from those that tried to attack and tried to repress, and so there are some characters that are that way, and, and, and Moses is, is one of them. So now going on to verse 6. Now, I want to make a statement about this, and um, I, I probably need to get out of this habit, but this is one of my habits, is I'm going to say a dramatic statement, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying this is not an exaggeration. So I hope you understand I'm never going to speak in exaggerations unless I tell you that I'm exaggerating or I make it so obvious that no one's questioning it. But when I say this statement about verse 6, again, I'm not exaggerating, I think this is the most important verse in understanding the Ten Commandments. So I want to be clear, it's not the most important verse in the Ten Commandments uh, necessarily, I'm saying it's the most important one to understand the Ten Commandments. Here's what he says, and this again is also found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke to them, so he descends upon the mountain, speaks to them, and he's about to give the Ten Commandments, but he prefaces it with this statement. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There are three things that he reveals that give perfect context for the rest of the commands that he's about to give. He says, I am the Lord. So he is announcing, I am God. As we'll see in a moment, he's the only God. He's the only true God, the only real God. But he says, I am the Lord. I I want you to understand this, this image of power that just descended upon the mountain, you need to understand this is who I am. I am God. I am the Lord. I am the creator. Okay, so understand the weight of that statement. I am the Lord. But the next statement he makes is very personal. I am the Lord, your God. He is declaring to them a relational statement. He's not saying, I am the the God who's now going to oppress you. He is telling them in a very personal and relational way, I'm your God. I'm with that. So every nation understood this. Now, they created false God. I think every man-made religion is influenced by demonic powers. I firmly believe that. But every religion had a mindset that their God was the one that had the responsibility to defend them, to bless them, to take care of them. And so he's declaring to them, I'm your God. I'm the one that's going to do all these things for you. But he says, I am the Lord your God. And then the next thing he tells them is, I'm the one who set you free. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who just set you free out of the house of slavery. So out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why does that matter? He's about to give them commands. And some of those commands could seem restrictive. But you need to understand what he's declaring to them is, I'm a deliverer, not an enslaver. I am the Lord, your God, who just set you free. And what he's declaring is, I didn't set you free to now enslave you. I set you free so that you can experience freedom. A beautiful verse in the Bible, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
God provides freedom. The world we live in is broken by sin. We are born into that sin. We are controlled by that sin. God and God alone is the one who sets us free. The commandments of God are not to restrict life. They are to lead us back into true life that we were designed to live. And so he declares, I am the Lord, your God, who sets you free. And then he goes into the commands, and I'm only going to look at a few of them today, and then the next Bible study will cover the rest. But verse 7, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's declaring to them is, I need to be the only God, the primary God. I think in Exodus account, it says, no other gods before me or besides me. What he's basically saying is, guys, I'm not going to compete, but, but it's more than that. I'm not going to compete because, friends, there are no other real gods. All the other gods are fake. I mean, he's already even declared this. Moses has declared this to the people speaking on behalf of God in chapter 4. In chapter 4, in, in a verse that actually is a verse 100% full of grace, he tells them, he says, someday you're going to let your hearts turn away from God. You're going to turn and start to trust other gods and worship other gods. And, and so God declares to them, he goes, you know, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to allow you to be conquered, and you're going to be exiled. And this promised land that you're about to take, that's a land of blessing, you'll leave it for a season. And he says this to them, and this is chapter 4, verse 28. So these are just a few verses prior to what we're looking at. He says, And there, so from the place of exile, and there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But then he goes on and says, But from there you'll seek me when you seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And from there I'll, I'll restore you and I'll bring you back. And and he was prophesying about what would happen when Assyria would come in and conquer, and then Babylon would come in and conquer and exile them. But what he declares them, he says, when you seek other gods, do you know who you're actually worshiping? You're worshiping gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands. And he says to them, he says, they're not alive. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't eat, they don't smell. He could go on and say, they don't feel, they don't care, because they're, they're fake. You created them. There's a, one of my favorite psalms discusses this, Psalm 115. It says, their idols, talking about people who are not serving God, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And then it gives this powerful summary of that. Those who make them who make false gods, who make false idols and worship them, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. They're fake. They're, they're a creation of man. They come out of your own imagination. So when God declares to the nation of Israel, don't have other gods before me, it's not because he's insecure. This isn't, uh, you know, I kind of picture it as a, a middle school relationship where a girl gets jealous or a boy gets jealous because someone else talked to you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend or the person they like, and they're like, I don't like that. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. This is a God saying, listen, they're fake. Don't put your hope in someone else. Don't put your hope in something else. Trust in me. And then he goes on in verse 8 through 10. He says, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
And so I, I want to pause because it, you might hear that and think, oh, Matt, that just contradicted what you just said, but it didn't. What he says to them is, don't even create something. Their culture, this was their rhythm. When they had a, a concept of a god, they would form a physical object to represent it. So it could be an image of what they thought the sun looked like. It could be they could pick an animal and say this animal, and they could carve it into metals or into wood, and they would say this animal now represents our image of this god who we call, and, and they could name him. And so they, they would worship it. And God says, don't do that. And, and, and I'm going to explain how we do this in our lives. because don't do that. He goes, because I'm a jealous God. And you go, okay, Matt, you just said that it's not like a, a, you know, a middle school relationship, and it's not. The jealousy here is different. This is the jealousy of a husband over his wife in the sense that they've made a covenant relationship. And so this husband is going to be protective and defensive of that love. He's not going to allow another man to step into that relationship and try to win and woo the heart of his wife. He's going to be protective because he made a covenant relationship. His covenant is that I'm going to be the protector. I'm going to be the provider. And this is the image of God. There is righteous jealousy in a God who is perfect and does not suffer at all from insecurity or pride or selfishness or anything that could lead to an unhealthy jealousy. His is beautiful and it's perfect. And he's saying, I entered into this relationship and I'm going to defend it. And he says, this is how I I process. Those who hate me, I allow them to experience my wrath, my judgment, the consequences of their decisions for generations to come. He says, I I allow it to happen for the second and third generation. But what we've already read in this Bible study is a merciful God who says, but I'm also the God who shows mercy. It's what I talked about when in in chapter four, where he said, you know, you're going to worship other gods and allow you to be exiled, but from that place, you're going to worship me. I'm going to bring you back. He is a merciful God. And so he tells them, don't create an image. So how do we create images? Well, it's what we put our hope in. For some people, the image you create, you're, you're not taking a piece of wood and carving an image of a God, but your image that you're creating is the number in your bank account. That maybe you look at it through an app on your phone or you get that bank statement, and the larger the number, the better you feel. The larger the number, the more hope you have. And so that just becomes an idol. You, you become about money. For other people, they build a house, and they put all their energy into a house, and that's where their identity is. That's where their hope is. That's where their comfort is. That's where their peace is. You know what that is? It can be an idol, or their cars, or their clothes. And nowadays, do you know what a lot of people, the, the image that they worship the most is themselves, their brand, their image. What's the image I can create on social media? Can I show the perfect picture and and try to paint a picture to everyone of the life that I live, even though it's not really true? And it's, you know what it is? It's an idol. And nowadays, people worship their kids. And it's all about their kids' activities and their kids' wants and whatever their hopes and dreams are. And and they think that's what's going to make me happy and that's what's going to satisfy. And, And what God would say is, guys, don't do that. Make sure that the number one thing in your life is your relationship with God that he is a God who is first, that there is none before him, none beside him, that you're not allowing these other things in your life, these images, these physical representations to become something that you actually, if you're being honest, you put more attention toward, that you put more energy toward, more worship toward. And so this is his challenge. And then he goes on, and this is the last one that I'll look at today. In verse 11, he says, "'You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain.'" 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And, and honestly, most people misunderstand this because when they think of taking God's name in vain, they think of using God's name as a cuss word. And, and hear me, that very much is taking God's name in vain. It's using it in an inappropriate way. But that's not the only way or maybe even the most damaging way that we do it. So people might you know, use the name of Jesus as a cuss word. You'll hear people say Jesus Christ, and they don't mean it in honor. They're saying it you know, as a, um, really like a cuss word. And so again, that's one way. But using God's name in vain is also using his name flippantly. So even, I think, if we go into the presence of God in a flippant way, and, and I want to be careful because God is a relational God, and He wants us to have a conversation with Him, to pray without ceasing. So I'm not saying that you have to stop and go through some ritual in order to enter into the presence of God. You don't have to use poetic language, so in your prayers you don't have to be, our God, who is full of mercy and grace. You know, you don't have to go through some rhythm. It, but what I mean flippantly is just to be like, and you'll hear people to say, like, the man upstairs, like, this is what I want, this is what I need. That, that is a more flippant way about it, and I would be cautious about that. That can be taking God's name in vain. In the Bible times, if you took an, an oath and made a promise in the name of God and didn't follow through, that was dishonoring to the name of God, and that was taking his name in vain. But do you know the most common way people take God's name in vain in our culture? is people who take on his name as Christians. Christian, Christ, the Messiah, I'm a follower of Jesus is what you're declaring. People who take on the name of Jesus as a Christian and then live in a dishonorable way, who don't reflect the values and nature of Jesus. When people do that, you are bringing dishonor to his name. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, we should pray, hallowed be your name. May praise and honor, respect be given your name. And so when we claim to be Christians, and yet we're jerks, we claim to be Christians and we're rude and we're selfish, we claim to be Christians and we live in a sensual way and we dishonor God's commands and laws, we're taking his name in vain. And all of these go together. If we put other gods in our life and we put other things our hope in, or we live in a way where we think we're, we're kind of riding the line, he goes, no, all of that dishonors God and it adds no value to your life. So again, where do we go back to the beginning? Hear these instructions of God, learn them, do them. Because when you hear, learn, and do, it adds value to your life. When you don't, it doesn't. Well, friends, I pray that today's Bible study was a challenge and encouragement to your faith. Like always, thank you for joining. And if these are a blessing to you, share them with family and friends. I hope to see you on Sunday. God bless.